welcome back to our true crime podcast. I'm Hannah. I'm Kate. Yes, and um, this is episode 26 of Don't Blame the Mom, our true crimedy podcast. Stop. We're not having <laughs> any of that. Editor um, Harry Cush. Fine. <laughs> fine. It's a true crime podcast <laughs> with a tiny sprinkle of really bad jokes made by myself and Irish Kate. Sorry about that. I feel like my jokes are really good. Um, no, no, they're not. So let's start with a trigger warning. Yes, our thinking. Like our nemesis is the trigger warning. I know, honestly. So as always, we do have a trigger warning. So this might not be suitable for younger ears or for those of you who maybe might be triggered by crimes such as rape and murder. Yeah, absolutely. So, so if we, you're we listening... We're laughing about that. that. But if you're listening, don't ever what, listen because that's all we ever talk that about. That is what <laughs> a true crime podcast do generally consist of so yes a big trigger warning guys this is going to be a tough one as they all are and um some people might find it hard to listen to but if you don't then keep on listening and we'll keep on talking yeah stay yes, with us exactly and we will get into it yeah so i don't think we have any don't blame uses this week um like i said feel free to write into us on our instagram any of our social medias like tiktok and facebook and instagram um and Twitter, and then you can tell us anything we've got wrong, and I'm sure there's lots of things that we get wrong on a daily basis. So do feel free to share in those life, with us. In not life. just on the podcast. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So Kate, haven't I know you are the busiest person in the world, as always. She's just bl- blown into the house and like finished work, got all her bags and everything ready. She's off to another wedding, Hindu on the weekend. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I could be Mary Poppins with the amount of bags that I have. Yeah, you are like the official bag lady. Oh God! Yeah, that's not a great. <laughs> it's a really look, attractive moniker, <laughs> the bag lady. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I had, uh, I, I try not to be, but I just am the you bag are. lady. You're just too popular for your own good. You <laughs> I know? don't know about that. Yeah. But yeah, no, I do. I am off to a hen in Switzerland for yeah. my good friend Cloda. Yeah, in so- America they call it a bachelorette, don't they? They might well do. Yeah, I think it sounds better than a hen do. Hen just sounds a bit. Yeah, it's a bit of a weird one. A like, hen. hen's not very, like, you know, they're cute and everything, but they're not, like, the cutest animal. I mean, when I have mine, can we just call it a bachelorette? I mean, yours is in, like, two weeks. It's a bit late for that. Oh, We're God. already calling it I a know. hen. I can't believe I haven't got any outfits. I don't even know what I'm doing yet because none of these girls will tell me. So That's what it's all about. Exactly. I'm not going to tell you. Yeah. So, yeah, I've got two bachelorettes on the cards coming up and my holiday. Yay! Finally, the one I've been saying you've, you've been going on for months. I'm like, aren't you going holiday week? Oh, yeah. She's like, no, Hannah. I wish I was. It, it but is I'm not. finally happening. I'm so excited. Well, it's um very much well deserved. I mean, you are the, you. you work so much all the time. Like, I can't even cope with how much you work. I'm I'm exhausted <laughs> thinking about how much you work. Honestly, it's insane. I mean, I do work as well, guys, but just nowhere near as much as Kate does. I'm just a busy little bee. You really. Really are but, but yeah no I'm looking forward to the holiday we are going to Switzerland we're going to stay in Switzerland oh, and it. travel love around it. in an RV which I haven't done before so I'm excited for that that's so cool you're gonna sleep in it as well yeah oh wow that's why that's why you rent them oh 
<laughs> so, you know, I thought you just, just drive around because they look cool. <laughs> for, for the gram, you know. <laughs> yeah, 100%, just for and the gram. book into a hotel at the end of each day. <laughs> That's actually a really good idea. Pitch a tent, make it look like you're living off the fat of the land. And then, <laughs> and then like, you book into a five-star at the end of it. Yeah, get my reddies on, trek off to the five-star hotel. Sounds like a great plan, actually. You, you might you might be onto something there. Oh, that might it. even happen. No, Who knows? Do it. Why not? <laughs> So guys, uh, should we get into the case this week? Yeah. Do we have a shout out? Yes, actually, I think we have got a couple, haven't we? Yeah. yeah. We have Caitlin, who yeah. shared us on her story, saying that she actually isn't always massively into true crime, but mm. what case was it that she actually really enjoyed? She, she listened to Ariel. Well, actually, the first time she listened was The Toolbox Killers. Oh, okay. So well, that for was someone a bit who's tough. not into true crime... And when, that was one of our first episodes, and we really went deep on that one. And that is, obviously, they are a gruesome pair of, you know, a, um, a couple of killers. And it's horrific, the things they did, you know, using their toolbox amongst other, you know, weapons. But so that was, um, that kind of put her off a little bit. But then she listened to Ariel Castro the other day, and she actually said that the end made her cry a bit because it's such, you know, an amazing story of survival, the three survivors, you know, Amanda it Berry. It really is, um, yeah. Michelle Knight and <clears throat> Gina De Jesus. So it was like really inspiring that they all, you know, survived and have gone on to do such amazing sort of victim advocacy as they continue to do. So Caitlin, thank you so much for those messages. We really appreciate the feedback. And for sharing us on your Instagram. Yeah. Anyone else who would like to do that, please feel free. Yep, and we will absolutely <laughs> repost it happily. Um, is there any more? Um, I can't think of any. I probably should have written them down, but I haven't. Well, that just wouldn't be us, would it? But, oh well. But I'm sure there'll be some more next week. So on that note, let's get into this week's case, episode 26. Now, this case really hits hard because it really resonated with me. Because I remember being young, believe it or not. And I wanted to do all sorts of things that my friends did. And I remember arguing with my parents about it. We've all been there as teenagers when there's something you really want to do, but your parents say no, or there's something you really want to try, but your parents say no. And at the time, you're so annoyed thinking, why are they trying to ruin my social life? And, you know, and stop me doing what all the, you know, the cool kids are doing and what my friends are doing. But it's only in hindsight, as we get older, do we realize our parents usually do know best in those circumstances. And they only have our best interests at heart. And most importantly, our safety as their number one priority. But you only start to understand that as you get older. Mm-hmm. It For took, sure. Yeah, it took me years to sort of realize that. So utterly tragically, one young teenage girl from Rochester, New York, didn't get to see the benefit of hindsight as an evil predator cruelly snatched her life from her before she had the chance to experience it. It was around 9.15 p.m. on April 25th, 2009, when 17-year-old petite blonde Brittany Drexel was walking down Ocean Boulevard in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Um, Grainy CCTV shows her walking along the street on the way to meet some people at her hotel until she eventually walks out of shot, disappearing into the darkness, and that was the last time she was ever seen alive again. Her unknowing parents were back home, a 14-hour drive away, and didn't know that she'd sneaked away to Myrtle Beach that weekend for spring break. So when they found out she was missing, they started a desperate, frantic search to find their young daughter, hoping to bring her home safely. Sadly, that was not to be, and it would take 13 years to finally uncover the truth of what happened to her on that fateful evening. This is episode 26, The Tragic Case of Brittany Drexel. So Brittany Marie Drexel was born in Rochester, New York on the 7th of October, 1991. 
She was born to parents John, here we go again, Kayogu or Glu, Kayoglu, whatever Hannah said, who was of Turkish descent and mother Dawn Plekin. Now, John and Dawn were very young having Brittany and their relationship did not last. Brittany's biological dad was not on the scene for most of her life, but he did reconnect with her later down the line. So Dawn went on to meet future husband Chad Drexel, who was serving in the military at the time. Brittany was only three and a half when they met and Chad was really good with children and Dawn and Chad eventually got married and he put through the legal proceedings to adopt Brittany. So she then became Brittany uh, Drexel. Drexel. Yeah, and apparently he was like a really great character in her life, a really strong role, yeah. male role model. It's like she, he was like a father <clears throat> figure to her, wasn't he? It was, she was like, it was like her dad. Yeah, she called him dad from, yeah. kind of, mm. from day dot, really. Mm. So once Chad's military service ended, the family settled down in Chilai, a suburb in Rochester, New York. So Brittany went to school in Gates Chilai High School, where she was a junior at the time of her murder. She was a very beautiful young girl Mm -hmm. who dreamed of one day becoming a model or maybe working in the cosmetics industry Mm -hmm. or maybe going into nursing. So she was actually born with an eye defect called persistent fetal vasculature or PFV. So, and this was in her right eye. Now this is a congenital development disorder and it can lead to vision impairment or blindness in the affected eye. She had numerous surgeries over the years to correct this issue, but without much success. And she was, in fact, blind in that eye. Oh. I know. She wore corrective lenses to prevent the eye from wandering, which is one of the symptoms of the condition. And these contacts had this blue tint, which gave her quite a distinctive look and only really added to her striking appearance. Excuse me, guys, I've got frogs in my throat. Um... So Brittany really didn't let this eye condition hold her back in any way. She was very outgoing. She was well-liked amongst her peers. She played football and was, in fact, captain of the football team. Yeah. Her coach says that she was really loved on the football team for her sassy and fun personality. She was apparently quite the joker with a quick wit, Uh, you know. uh, Always a quick one with a joke, yeah. Yeah. So she was really, really well-liked. Um, in early 2019, Britney's parents had separated. So this is Chad now, Chad Drexel and mm. her mom Dawn had separated and they were going through a divorce. Britney was taking this quite hard and struggling to come to terms with the idea of her parents getting divorced. So some of the girls that she knew from school and their two boyfriends were planning a trip to Myrtle Beach for spring break in April 2009. Now, It is hard to use the term friends here because Mm. they seem to be a bit more like acquaintances. Yeah. They were a little older than Brittany, who was 17 at the time. Brittany asked her mom if she could go on the trip with these friends, but her mom was completely against the idea. There was a few things going on here. Not only did she not know these friends that Brittany wanted to go away with, she'd never ever met them, but there wasn't going to be any adult supervision and Myrtle Beach was 800 miles away from their hometown, Charlie. Wow. Brittany, being 17 years old, was furious by Dawn's refusal and they had an argument about the trip that lasted two days. 
this I this is a woman after my own heart. Oh yeah, absolutely. We've <laughs> all been there, like arguing. I remember, like, I wanted to get my belly button pierced when I was like oh, around that God. age, and my mom was like, absolutely, absolutely not. not. Same. And I was like, well, this girl's got hers done. Britney this Spears has it done. Spears, everyone in steps has it done. Why can't I have it done? Like, it will make me look so much better. Like, she's like, no. But you can bet your ass as soon as I turn 18. The first thing I did, get that belly button piercing. <laughs> That's so funny. Mm-hmm. I actually never got my done afterwards. But it was something that I did really want. Mm-hmm. Um, but Dawn held strong. She just felt that it was not a good idea and had this overriding sense or like a sixth sense that yeah. something bad would happen if she let Brittany go. Like an intuition, isn't it? Yeah. Um, which is actually really sad. So fucking sad. So it's just that crappy situation, isn't it? Where we've all been there, like you said it, as teenagers, where your parents say no to something, you really want to do it. But at the time, you just can't see their reasoning. No. It all becomes very dramatic. And you just feel like, oh, I'm missing out on everything. And all my friends are doing it. Yeah. And you're ruining my social life. Or... Yeah, totally. You don't see it from the like the safety perspective or like an adult's perspective. And like I said, it takes years for you to sort of get to that point where you're like, oh my God, I was such a bitch when I was a teenager. I was, you yeah. know, I gave them such a hard such time. A and now I get why they were like this. And But, you know, it like I said, it comes with age. And obviously she's only 17 years old. Yeah, I know, like, as a teenager, my parents and my best friend's parents would kind of play off each other. Mm. You know, like, so if Sive's parents said, yes, that she could do something, then my parents are more likely to agree mm-hmm. and vice versa. So it was really kind of just seeing who was the set of parents that we could break at any yeah. given time. Yeah. You know, who was going to be the ones under the teenager attack. Totally. <laughs> you know, if you managed to break one set of parents, the others were more likely to give in. Yeah. Anyway, my point being is that we've all been there. And honestly, sometimes mother does know best. But as a 17-year-old, it's really hard to see that. Of course. Um, and you know what? I don't think I would ever let a 17-year-old go 800 no, miles away. absolutely not. No, of course not. Her mum was doing the, completely the right thing. Well, I don't know. Like, teenagers, they're just idiots, aren't they? Like, yeah. not in a bad way. No, completely. And we're not victim-blaming <laughs> no, at all. No, we're mean, not at all. We just do silly things. As we've both been teenagers, we I've done a lot of stupid things, you know, and you continue to, and, you know, and you're, and like, I mean, I'm only, what, 21 now. So, <laughs> so. <laughs> but, Again. But it's true. Like, you, you, you sort of make, you learn from these mistakes and you kind of have to make these mistakes because that is part of growing up and that's part of, you know, growing <clears> into the person you're going to become. No, and I do joke. And the real reason actually that teenagers get so emotional when rationalizing is because their brains don't actually, or our brains don't actually fully, fully develop the reasoning side of things until we are like 24 or 25. So did you know that until you're 24 or 25, our brain uses our amygdala to process sound reasoning, but an adult brain uses the prefrontal cortex, which is the part that actually houses rationale. Oh, I didn't know that. So good judging and fact. understanding and of long-term consequences actually do come with age because mm. our brains are just not fully completely functioning they're not, properly they're yet. not fully formed yes exactly anyway so this is anyway where it all starts to go wrong so and as you said it's not victim braining blaming at all this is just it was just a silly Being mistake a normal teenager. normal teenager silly mistake so she made a bad judgment call and she made up a lie and asked her mother if she could instead go and stay with her friend who lived locally in rochester so in the spirit of compromise, Dawn agrees. Mm. So on the 22nd of April, 2009, Brittany, along with four friends, catches a flight to South Carolina uh, to Myrtle Beach. Now, initially, Brittany's boyfriend, who was called John Grietko, was meant to go too, but he actually couldn't get any time off work, and so he had to stay at home. 
So the party traveling is made up of the two girlfriends, their two boyfriends, and then Brittany alone. Mm. Um, the group are staying at the Bar Harbor Hotel in Myrtle Beach. And Brittany was, like most teenagers, very active on her phone. So she was good at keeping in touch with her boyfriend, John, and her mother, Dawn, while she was away. So although Dawn was under the impression that Brittany was in her friend's house, John knew the truth and was privy to all the goings-on that were happening down at Myrtle Beach. So Brittany was, in fact, filling John in about the way the, girl, the way the girls were behaving on the trip and how they'd been treating her. So she tells them that they're not really being very nice to her. They're kind of purposely leaving her out of things and just Aww. being a little bit mean to her. Yeah. Um, and I think she felt maybe a little bit like she was... The odd one out. The odd one out because her boyfriend wasn't there. Yeah, of course. At least she would have had him to do yeah, things with. Yeah, have someone who she's actually really close to. Absolutely, which is kind of vital when you're so far away from yeah. home. So she starts to do things alone in the daytime because the others are partying so much in the evenings that they end up staying in bed all day. And she actually just doesn't want to drink as much as they are and whatever else was going on. Yeah. So Brittany bumps into another friend from home. And this was a guy called Peter Brozowicz. Now, Peter is also from Rochester and Brittany knows him from the nightclub scene where he worked as a club promoter. Brittany started to hang out with Peter and his friends over the next few days while always staying in touch with her boyfriend, John, to fill him in on what she was doing. On the afternoon of the 25th of April, when she was on the beach, she spoke to her mum on the phone. She told her that she was on the beach, and her mum, aware that the weather in Rochester was hot at the time, assumed that she meant the beach by Lake Ontario, which is about 25 minutes from where they lived yeah. in Charlie. So on the night of the 25th of April, 2009, Brittany made plans to spend some time with Peter and his friends at their hotel. She'd also forgotten her flip-flops, and Peter had contacted her to tell her that. And so she was going to go and get them before they flew back to Rochester the next day. So she was texting her boyfriend, John, and he was aware of what she was doing. She left the Bar Harbor Hotel and made her way, walking about a mile and a half or 2.4 kilometers, depending on where you're from, down South Ocean Boulevard to meet the guys at their hotel, the Blue Water Resort. She arrived, but wasn't there long when she got a text from Jennifer one of the girls asking if Brittany was wearing her black shorts and green and jade top. Brittany let her know that she was, and Jennifer was quite annoyed with her and said that she wanted to wear them and that Brittany needed to bring them back to her ASAP. Brittany, Brittany agrees to go back to the hotel and return the clothes to Jennifer, but she's never actually seen alive again. Yeah, it's so sad. So here's Brittany. She's only 17 years old. She's in an area she's completely unfamiliar with. Now she's setting off to walk alone in the dark down Ocean Boulevard after leaving the Blue Water Resort. And it's not a quick walk. It takes over half an hour. Yeah. So it took her like over think, half an hour to walk there. I think now I she has to go back. 40 blocks. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't really understand blocks, but... It's pretty far. Yeah, exactly. So it's not like it's a quick five minute pop down the road and then, you know, this is taking a good... There and back Between to take at least Between 20 to 30 hour. minutes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So... um. She's, you know, alone in the dark, off walking down Ocean Boulevard. Now, CCTV cameras at that resort had captured her leaving at 8.45 p.m. carrying a beige purse, or a handbag as we call it, black and white tank top and flip-flops and black shorts. She's got to make the over half-hour journey back to her motel just to return these shorts. Otherwise, she would have stayed there. 
already this gives me such a bad feeling i just so wish that someone had offered to walk with her or you know i'm not blaming anyone but know. you know it's just kind of it's manners isn't it like i mean i can't imagine <laughs> so I mean, funny. it's just it's just manners really i can't imagine like like people letting a girl walk alone like someone you don't know at night especially she's a really cute like petite like young yeah. girl she's only 17 Exactly. So before I get into the events that are about to unfold, I just want to give a little bit of background on Myrtle Beach, um, which, you know, oh, yeah. is this spring break destination. This party destination she so wanted to, to you know, go to with her friends or her acquaintances. Now, Myrtle Beach is one of the major centers of tourism in South Carolina and the United States. The city's warm subtropical climate and miles of beaches, they've got 86 golf courses and 1,800 restaurants. And that attracts over 20 million visitors a year. Oh my god! And I'm gosh. not surprised because it definitely sounds like somewhere that I would want to go. It looks gorgeous. Yeah. Not to mention all the bars <laughs> and the clubs that it boasts inside, which it was apparently pretty easy. Like the clubs, it's kind of easy to acquire alcohol, even for someone who's underage. So that's a huge attraction to say young teens and younger people. Yeah. And yeah. obviously in America, you need to be 21 to You've drink. Got, exactly. Because here it's 18. Mm. But, um, you know, it's, it's going to attract people who want to let their hair down and party. And I mean, it's totally, like I said, sounds like the kind of place that I would have been like, we have to go there as a teenager and would have completely, I understand why she was so desperate to, you know, jump on the bandwagon and join in on that sort of. Yeah, she was that, just looking to have a good weekend, time. Of course. But this city has a really dark side as well. Unfortunately, with this fun, vibrant party location comes the dangerous predators who are drawn to the area, knowing there'll be young people around um, people who are letting their hair down, they may have had a few drinks, making them more vulnerable, which mm. means they're easier to take advantage of. Yeah, maybe even drinking for the very first time. Exactly. The violent crime rate in Myrtle Beach is more than four times the national average, according to recent what? FBI data. Yeah. Now we have Brittany wandering along on her own, distractedly because she's messaging her boyfriend as she walks and, you know, she's on her phone like we all are. Um, and whilst no doubt still attracting loads of attention from passing vehicles, because, you know, she is a young, cute girl. So she's later actually texting her boyfriend, John Greco, en route, saying, I'm heading back to my motel now. They've been texting, you know, all night, all weekend, back and forth, as you do. But that was the last known contact Brittany ever had with anyone. After this message to John at 9.15pm, she suddenly stops responding to his text. In just a matter of minutes, Brittany literally disappears plucked off the street without any chance to defend herself, never to be heard from again. Her boyfriend starts to get really concerned, thinking, why is Brittany suddenly ignoring him? Like, you know, why is she not replying? So he panics and he starts calling her phone and he's messaging her, nothing, There's no response. So he calls the friends that she was, you know, with or the acquaintances that she, drove, you know, got down there with to see if they could shed some light on where she was or what's happened. And again, nothing. So then he resorts to texting Brittany saying, if you don't answer, I'm going to call your mom and I'm going to tell her you're in Myrtle Beach, knowing that even if she is out partying, this would likely get a, a reaction from her. But I mean, still. I think that was really actually mature of him. Oh, 100%. And he completely did the right thing. He 100%. He's, he was really on the ball. Of course. But still nothing. So John is now really worried. He knows that something is not right mm. and that something has happened to Brittany. But what? He doesn't know. So now he does know he has no option left but to call her mum Dawn and explain to her that not only has Brittany in actual fact snuck off to Myrtle Beach that weekend, but worryingly, she's now missing. Dawn. It's awful conversation. So it's literally like giving me chills. Yeah. 
Dawn is understandably completely blindsided by this news and now worried out of her mind. Not only is her daughter not at her friend's house like she thought she was, but she's 800 miles away and she's gone missing. Can you just imagine the absolute panic, panic. and fear that she must have felt instantly on hearing that? Um, she actually later went on to describe this as, quote, every parent's worst nightmare. And I can only yeah, imagine. 100%. And it's like a mother's intuition in this case, because when Brittany, you know, had initially asked her mum if she could go on this Myrtle Beach trip, Dawn had said no. There's no parental supervision and something is going to happen to you. And it's so tragic that she did end up being right. Not that yeah. Brittany was ever going to know something awful would happen. No. So Dawn jumps straight into action and she calls Chad, the stepdad, to inform him. And then the Rochester police, so their local police department, hoping that they could contact their counterparts in Myrtle Beach and get a search going for her missing daughter as soon as possible. All the while, she's still trying to call and text Brittany's phone, but it just keeps ringing out. Myrtle Beach police are soon informed and they start looking for Brittany the next morning. They started by locating the security camera footage from the Blue Water Resort, which is the last place she'd been at when she was visiting her friends there and the last place she was seen leaving alive. Naturally, they start their investigation by questioning this group of acquaintances. They find out Peter Brozowicz, the 20-year-old uh, club promoter, was the last person who reportedly saw her before she'd left. And they'd been to that club together the night before as well. So... They interviewed him and the other men that he was sharing rooms with during this stay and then said um, no one has been ruled in or out, but they still had no persons of interest. So police entered and searched Brittany's motel room, finding all of the clothes that she'd packed for this trip. But there is no purse and there is no phone. Most girls I know would usually take these things with them wherever they're going. 100%. Absolutely, including myself, including you. So and my lip balm. Always, exactly. <laughs> and you know, even sometimes a charger these days. Yes, that's so, so true. Knowing that those were missing, it's a strong indication that she had them on her person the last time she had contact with anyone. So they check her phone records to see if that can shed some light or at least help them glean some more information on where she may be. They track her phone's network pings. You know, I love this. I love the phone triangulation you system. You know I love it's this. So, it's just so amazing. <laughs> they track her phone's network pings, which were tracked on a path leading 50 to 60 miles or 80 to 97 kilometers, depending on where you're from, south of Myrtle Beach in an area along US Route 17 near the Georgetown Charleston County line. But these pings on her phone had suddenly stopped abruptly in the early hours of the morning on April 26th. So a few hours after John had last heard from her. This area it last pinged at was a rural, swampy area south of where Brittany was staying and not the place a teenage girl would have had any reason to be heading to. There was absolutely no reason for Brittany to be heading that direction at all. Mm. Scary. Yeah, terrifying. That must be really scary to see like the pinging. And, and just at the route as it was going completely moving, moving, yeah, yeah. away and away, further and further away from where she should have been. Mm. And also... The speed at which her phone was pinging along those south hours showed that Brittany was very likely in a vehicle for her phone to be able to travel at that speed that she, she must have been traveling. So initially, when she was walking, her phone pings were moving accordingly as they would with someone moving at a walking pace. Yeah. When she went out of contact, her phone was suddenly moving at 55 miles per hour. Oh my God. So whose vehicle was she in and why? This at least gives police an area to train their search in. 
So for the next 11 days, they extensively scour the dense and desolate areas near this route where potentially a body may have been disposed of, but to no avail. They also searched Myrtle Beach, but came up empty handed. Still, there were no definitive answers for Dawn and Chad as to what happened to their daughter. Dawn, of course, who would never give up her search, actually ended up eventually relocating to Myrtle Beach to be closer to the investigation and probably to feel closer to her daughter by staying in the area that she was likely abducted in. And so the investigation continued. <clears throat> Meanwhile, Peter Brozowicz, the club promoter who'd last seen Britney at his hotel, and Dawn had a few run-ins on that TV show, Dr. Phil, as he was complaining that his reputation was ruined as he was one of the last people to see Britney that night. Now, that attitude is kind of ignorant to the fact that Dawn's daughter is missing and that's what's most important. Yeah. He didn't seem very concerned about, you know, that he he just seemed worried for himself, which is a shame. I, I can't get my head around that sort of mentality. No, I mean, if anything, being the last person you think they'd be the one who'd be really involved and trying to help. Yeah, and, and emotionally involved, you know. Yeah, exactly. Emotionally kind of... Um, yeah, like wanting this to be solved and wanting her to be okay. Yeah. Um, I get everyone deals with things differently. And obviously he didn't have anything to do with her disappearance. But where is your empathy or sympathy for her family and mm. for her? You know, she's a young girl. She's disappeared. It's a huge deal. But um, yeah, it's bad. It's hurt his reputation, but it's not going to help your reputation by doing the woe is me act on a massive TV show. Nobody wants to hear that. No. In a 2014 newspaper article, Dawn um, goes on record with her theory that Britney had gone against her mum's wishes and been lured to Myrtle Beach under the promise that she was going to get a modeling job or something that would have been of interest to her. And then consequently, she was human trafficked. The Myrtle Police Department, however, at that time, didn't believe that that was likely as they claimed there was little to no human trafficking taking place in their jurisdiction. Yeah, and the case kind of goes cold very quickly after that. So it isn't until June 2016 that investigators get what they think may be a break in the Brittany disappearance case. An inmate named Taquan Brown, who was serving a 25-year manslaughter charge, contacts the FBI. He tells a story that back in 2009, shortly after Brittany's disappearance, he had been to drop off money at a local stash house in McClevenville. He claimed that when he arrived, he was led through the house to get to the backyard where he was dropping off money to a Sean Taylor. Now, Taquan says that as he walked through the sitting room, he saw a horrific scene. A young blonde girl was being, and trigger warning, gang raped by numerous men, including Timothy Deshaun Taylor, the son of Sean Taylor. He said that initially, in the moment, he hadn't recognised her, but that after seeing the news reports, he later believed the girl he saw was Brittany Drexel. While at the house, he claims to have witnessed Brittany making an escape attempt. He says he watched as Taylor chased her into the garden, where upon catching her, he pistol-whipped her and proceeded to drag her back into the house. After this, he heard two gunshots, which he assumed was the murder of the girl. He then watched as a body wrapped in a blanket or in a sheet was carried out of the house. He believes that the body was dumped in a local alligator swamp or pit. Mm. It's awful. I mean, awful. If if the thing is, they can never corroborate that story Mm. fully. Yeah. So did that happen to somebody else? This is very detailed as well, though, isn't it? So the story was corroborated by another inmate who has not been identified and he claimed that Timothy Taylor had picked Brittany up in Myrtle Beach and driven her back to Georgetown. 
This informant also claimed that Taylor was sex trafficking Brittany and charging other men to assault her. He said that the only reason that he killed her was because of the media attention that it was making him really paranoid. Oh my God. So Myrtle Beach is just under an hour from Georgetown and McLevenville is another 25 minutes or so on top of that, just for reference. Um, so this is a bit confusing because the, all these names I'm telling you are actually related. So just bear with. So Timothy Taylor had an accident as a child which left him with only one arm. Timothy's grandfather loved cars and would work on cars in the garden. Timothy inherited this love for cars and used to help his grandfather and his father work in the garden on the cars. When he was around four years of age, he was playing in the garden where the family had the makings of a garage outdoors. Mm. Timothy had seen his father and grandfather use a lift to lift the engines out of the cars. He wanted to put his bike onto it, but there was already an engine on there. When he went to try to move the engine to make room for his bike, the engine fell, landing on his arm. The resulting injury meant that Timothy had to have his arm amputated at only four years of age. Oh my gosh. And now, it's awful, isn't it? That's really... So by the time the allegations against Timothy were made, Timothy had already got a bad reputation with law enforcement from a previous conviction. But I want to first go back a little further into the family history with law enforcement. So in February of 2002, Randon Taylor, brother of Sean Taylor, uncle to Timothy Taylor, this is where I said it gets confusing, so his dad's brother basically, Okay. Randall was arrested along with four other men and charged with kidnapping, the kidnapping and murder in the disappearance of Shannon McConaughey. Shannon disappeared in January of 1998 after dinner with friends at a Cracker Barrel in North Charleston. Her car was found burned out in the woods near McLennanville two weeks after she went missing. Then one month later, her remains were found just a few miles away from the dumped car. The body had been dumped 10 miles from where Brittany's phone had last pinged. <gasps> yeah. So the charges against all men were dropped due to the lack of evidence when it was proved that the witness had been lying. So that's Randall. Now, in May 2009, the police questioned Sean Taylor about the disappearance of Brittany. The family were not overly concerned initially as they didn't realise what was coming for them. Brittany's phone had pinged near McLannanville um, along the route and local people were telling the police that they had heard rumours that Brittany had been seen in the area. In 2010, Sean Taylor, so this is the father of Timothy, was falsely accused of trying to kidnap a 20-year-old Tennessee woman, Randa Massey. Massey was on a family holiday in Myrtle Beach and was walking past the Blue Water Resort Hotel alone. Mm. So this is the same hotel that Brittany's friend Peter yeah. was staying at and where she was last seen on the oh, CCTV. CCTV. Yeah. She recalls that a van pulled up behind her and two men jumped out and tried to grab her. She managed to fight them off and escape. But... Sean Taylor had a police record for things like DUI, driving on a suspended sentence, domestic abuse, and uh, contempt of court. But they put his photo into a lineup for Massey to ID, and she picked out Sean as potentially one of her attempted kidnappers. Police realising how close his home was to one of the last known pings on Britney's phone arrested him immediately. 
Sean was eventually able to prove his innocence using CCTV video footage from two different businesses, which proved that he was nowhere near Myrtle Beach at the time of the attempted kidnapping. Thank God. Yep. But then in 2011, Timothy, along with a few others, robbed a McDonald's in Mount Pleasant. He had had actually already served time for his part in this crime. He had been the getaway driver in the robbery, but one of the thieves has shot the cashier at the counter twice. Oh, no. Yeah. So Timothy was initially sentenced to 18 months imprisonment by the state. But when authorities in 2016 suspected that he might have something got to do with Brittany Drexel's case, they then arrest him for suspected human trafficking, kidnap, rape, and murder. So they threatened to try him again under federal law in order to see if they could convince him to break and give information on Brittany's disappearance. Now, I know what you're all thinking, double jeopardy. So double jeopardy is a clause in the Fifth Amendment that prevents a person from being tried twice for the same crime. So obviously this is unusual, but it can happen without breaking the double jeopardy laws as the US government and individual states are seen by law as separate entities. And the law also indicates that it is legal for two separate entities to prosecute under the the separate sovereign's law. So it's a little bit confusing, but basically they were within the law. Right. But it's a bit of a murky one. Okay. Um, So basically, investigators have made their move. They're not just looking at Sean. Now they're looking at the son, Timothy. So Timothy was actually only 16 years of age when Brittany went missing. At the time, he weighed 100 pounds, so like seven stone or 45 kilos. Oh, wow. So he was a little. Very small, yeah. So, and had one arm. Oh, yeah. So quite unlikely. That he would have been, yeah, he wouldn't be able to do it on his own for sure. He wouldn't be able to do it on his own more than likely at that time anyway. Mm. So in 2017, Timothy agrees to a polygraph test. Um, the FBI tell him that if he passes, they will drop all of the McDonald's charges and recommend lighter charges for his part in Britney's disappearance. Now, he fails this test and storms out before the test was even finished. But he, he is also able to eventually prove his innocence. On the night in April that Britney disappears, Timothy was with his family in Estito, which is just under about three and a half hours from Myrtle Beach. So after all of this back and forth, the case goes cold again until... So, it is now 4th of May 2022 when a man walks into the Georgetown County Sheriff's Office to hand himself in on an obstruction of justice charge and is given a $100,000 bond. Police don't comment at this point on the details of his arrest. This man is 62-year-old Raymond Douglas Moody. He was a registered sex offender and a serial sexual predator in the area. In 1983, he had been sentenced to 40 years in prison in California after being convicted of several violent sex crimes related to the kidnapping and sexual assault of young girls. These were lewd and lascivious acts, including sodomy with a child um, under the age of 14. So already we can, yeah, we can see this man is, is a danger to, to children and young people. Yeah. In 2004, Moody was released from prison after serving 21 years and returned to his hometown of Georgetown, South Carolina. There, he started living at a roadside motel slash like apartment type place called the Sunset Lodge. And remember, when Britney's phone last pinged the night she disappeared, 
it was towards the Georgetown and Charlestown County line. So an area he was very familiar with and he was local to. Even after his release, he had continued to offend. Like this man was a complete serial predator. He never stopped, you know, a total predator through and through. He was rotten to the core. In September 2008, he's charged with indecent exposure by the Georgetown police, which was later reduced to public disorderly conduct. In February 2009, he is charged with failing to register as a sex offender and just handed a $250 fine. Now, this is just too much. Surely you'd like rearrest people like that. Well, this is the thing. He's a repeat offender. Mm. He's, like I say, he's rotten to the core. He can't stop offending. Yeah, he can't he, help himself. He can't stop doing these, you know, like doing wrong all the time. Um, and his crimes are serious, you know. His crimes are terrible. You know, sodomy against a child under the age of 14. Mm. I mean, why do they let him out after 21 years? I, I mean, you know, the mind baffles. Yeah. So this is just two months before Brittany travels to Myrtle Beach. On the same day, the police start their search for Brittany in April 26, 2009. They'd actually pulled Moody over in his car for a traffic violation in Surfside Beach. Brittany was not in the car with him. Yeah, so it must have been just after he had buried her body. I mean, the amount of people like that get caught by silly things like that was your affair. I know. What, Bundy? Yeah. Oh, my affair. Didn't he get caught in something silly like that? Um, What, get pulled over? But yeah, wasn't he, it something like, I, was it him? Who was um, it that got caught with the uh, with? I, um, I know Jeffrey Dahmer got pulled over once. Oh, I, oh Israel Keys. Maybe it was his well. case. It's yeah. definitely somebody. And Jeffrey Dahmer got pulled over once with bodies in his with a body in his car, and they Jesus. didn't check. So he just said, "Oh, I'm just like moving like garbage for my parents," and they just let him go. And that was, I think, his first victim as well. Oh my god! I know. So um, that's the thing, you know. They did obviously they weren't to know, but because this was the morning after she disappeared, so this is the morning they started the search for Brittany, and then they pulled him over. Um, it's just a traffic violation, but. But yeah, Brittany wasn't in the car with him, but it must have been just after he buried her body. Yeah. But it shows that he was in the area when she was taken. However, the now retired police lieutenant who pulled him over, Chuck Cap, reveals that Moody had scratches all over his face and his head at the time of this traffic stop. Soon we'll know the reason why. Police had already fingered him as a suspect in Brittany's disappearance as early as 2011 and announced that he is a POI, so a person of interest in her case, and had searched his hotel room in Georgetown, but they couldn't gather enough evidence to arrest him. But now, 11 years later, Moody is now in police custody for something unrelated to Brittany. But whilst he's there, he's going to confess to abducting and murdering Brittany on that fateful night. And unbelievably, he confesses to where he buried her and where they could find her remains. On hearing his confession, the FBI instantly went to the location he pinpointed and they spent three days excavating the area. And on May the 11th, they finally found her. Brittany had been buried in the woods off a gated private drive outside Georgetown, four feet below the ground. This wooded area was just two and a half miles from where Moody would, had been living when she disappeared. On May the 15th, they officially identified the remains and it was confirmed that they were Britney's through dental records and DNA. So finally, Brittany Drexel had been found and her family knew what tragic fate had befallen her. Moody's arrest warrant alleged that Brittany had been abducted, strangled and then buried by the morning of April 26, 2009. So just hours after that she'd been snatched off that street. Oh, God. Mm. On May 16th, it was now made public by police that Brittany's body had been found and her killer was arrested. 
this famous missing persons case, because it was, it was a huge case. Yeah. I remember the other people, you know, it being like talked about when they thought it was human trafficking and the guy who mm -hmm. falsely confessed, you know, and I actually start to think they're never gonna, we're never gonna know. Um, but it finally been solved, even though the outcome was so heartbreaking. And But at least her family now know the truth. Absolutely. Mm. So on finding Britney's remains, Raymond Moody was officially arrested again. You know, he's already in there, but re-arrested and charged with murder, kidnapping and first degree sexual misconduct. And he was held in the Georgetown County Jail. Now, Ernest Merchant, who's a former romantic partner of Moody's, because Moody was bisexual, said that a few days after Britney's disappearance, Moody had turned up on his doorstep. Merchant said, quote, I saw that his face had claw marks all over it, his neck, cheeks, he had a bald head and his head was just completely clawed. So it shows that Britney had put up a ferocious fight for her life. Mm. It shows her, like, her courage and, that, you know, she fought right up until the end in her desperate, you know, fight to stay alive. Yeah, it's, it's, such a, it's such a testament to her strength of character and her feistiness. She did everything she could to, to stay alive, this girl. Mm -hmm. Despite Moody being a registered serial sex offender and sporting these clearly defensive injuries, the connection wasn't made till years later when new evidence was obtained through enhanced surveillance video and cell phone data, helping to lead police to her killer. Now, don't you just love advancing technology? Yeah. Because they didn't have that technology when she'd initially gone missing. So investigators' major break in the case came when they were able to pinpoint Britney's exact location when something no. bad happened to her. So as I previously said, on the night of her abduction, Britney's cell phone was moving at walking speed to suddenly moving at a speed of 55 miles per hour, indicating that this was the exact moment she was dragged into a vehicle. When investigators examined the timeline of her disappearance, matching when she went from walking and then getting into a vehicle to the last seen surveillance footage of Britney, they were able to locate a vehicle in the corner of the video. No way. Yeah. After then pinpointing the last walking cell phone ping and then the first in a vehicle speeding ping, the video reviewed by investigators showed only one vehicle was on the road passing Britney's location in that time frame. And that's why nobody saw. And that's exactly, that's why there's no witnesses. So police were then able to link that vehicle to none other than Raymond Moody, who later admitted that he was indeed the person driving that vehicle. So they had that video footage all the time, but, but they, they just didn't, didn't have the, the technology. They didn't have the enhancement. And they, I think also with the cell phone things, they couldn't detect okay, the exact yeah. moment that she would have That's gone incredible. into a car. And then like, right, she's in the car at that moment. What cars are around at that moment? Like That's that kind incredible. of, it's insane. But I mean, when she went missing in 2009, that wasn't, available. A, a, it wasn't available at the time. Wow. Yeah. Investigators had also worked with a woman named Angel Vowles, Moody's girlfriend, who wore a wire for them as they focused in on Moody as the prime suspect. I would be terrified being oh, that girlfriend. Oh, uh, absolutely. After using a search warrant they'd obtained, they went through his house, all whilst he's already under arrest for the obstruction of justice charge. They were unable to find anything of ed evidentiary value at this point. But FBI investigators did have a face-to-face -face con face -face conversation with Moody whilst executing this warrant. After informing him that he and his girlfriend, Angel Vows, were the subject of the investigation, Moody agreed to sit down for an interview. And this is when Moody finally confessed on May the 5th, 2022, to the murder of Brittany Drexel and her evil killer was finally revealed. After she was found, Brittany's remains were finally returned to her family for the burial that she deserved. Poor Brittany. 
So on the 16th of May 2022, authorities have charged Moody with the kidnap, rape and murder of Brittany Drexel. On the 19th of October 2022, Moody pleads guilty to all charges in court. He is sentenced to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole for the murder of Brittany Drexel and two consecutive charges of 30 years for kidnapping and criminal sexual conduct. It comes to light that, as Hannah said, Brittany put up a huge fight and that she left Moody with scratches all over his face, neck and head. Dawn, Brittany's mother, spoke in front of the court and to Moody. She said that she was glad that Brittany was feisty and she said that he will forever hold the scars that her daughter gave to him and she hopes that he's haunted by what he did to Brittany. When given an option to speak after sentencing, Moody admits that he is a monster. He refers to the 40-year prison sentence he had previously received and how he was released after around 20 years. He said through tears that he thought that the time spent was enough, but it wasn't. He says, and I quote, I was a monster then and I'm a monster now. He's right. He is a monster. Yeah, he's not wrong. He goes on to apologize for the atrocities that he put Brittany through. His attorneys then informed the court that Moody has said he's willing to speak with anyone in the family at some point in the future about what happened that wow. day. Yeah. It's very unusual. A, it to, is. to show remorse, remorse. and yeah. to break down mm. and cry. Um, and also, even I was even thinking when he said that he let them, you know, he told them where the remains were. That's also very unusual for and he a kind of did it without much encouragement yeah not much at all you know they just had to get the fbi to sit down and they were like look we're we're investigating your girlfriend we're investigating yeah. you and that's when he was like okay fine you know i'm gonna tell you but i wonder if he truly does believe he is a monster and actually he kind of wanted to go back it's to almost like he was the compulsion was so strong mm. that he knew obviously he was a monster and he and, and he couldn't help himself but do it and also it seems like it was a an opportunistic Crime. Yeah. I don't think he was sitting in a car waiting for someone. I think he drove past, saw this young, you know, quite short girl on her own and grabbed her as he went past. I don't think he was waiting. I don't think he was premeditated. It yeah. seems like it was an opportunistic crime to me. I know that Dawn's mom, um, sorry, Brittany's mother, Dawn, had, even before they found out everything, had wondered if she had gotten into a car voluntarily because mm. she just said, you know, as a normal 17-year-old, Brittany didn't walk anywhere. Yeah. You know, if somebody had said, I'll give you a lift down the end yeah. of the road, she would have been like, okay. Well, when you see Ron, oh, sorry, Raymond Moody, you're going to be like, well... Um, I don't know. I did see him. He looks like a granddad. Well, he's got like... He's only got one eye as well, because not there's anything wrong with that, but I mean, he looks fair. like he's had a few scraps in his life, doesn't he? He, he definitely True. looks like... But if it's dark and she's only seeing this side of his face, she might not see that. I mean, I... I mean, yeah, true. But I mean, would you get into a car with an old man at the dark of night? When, no. Do you know what I mean? No, but we, like, we've all done silly things. Of course. Um, so Moody is being held in South Carolina's McCormick Correctional Institute. Guess who else is in there with him? Who? Alex Murdoch. Oh, God. <laughs> Absolute brute. Um, you just weren't even impressed by that. No. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, God. Oh, Not God. him. Um, Dawn Peckin has filed a lawsuit and is suing Moody for damages for the kidnapping, rape and murder of her daughter, Brittany Drexel. The lawsuit claims for, and I quote, emotional distress, injury, in, um, incurred medical bills and expenses, loss of enjoyment of life, 
pain, suffering, and mental anguish, to name but a few. Yeah. So this court case is due to start on the 1st of August, 2023. Really? So watch this space. Yeah. yeah. That's because they only caught him last year, didn't they? Yeah, literally. It's all very kind of... Mm. Um, the conclusion, that the, uh, revealing who the killer was literally happened 2022. So all very, very fresh. And all very present. Yeah. yeah. Uh, current. Very current. Mm. Is the word I was looking and for. And present. Current and present. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's it kind of, you know... Brittany was never to know that something like such a fun weekend and such a nice time with, you know, people and like the older kids and everything was going to lead to such tragedy. Yeah. And And she just had a horrible last weekend of life. Like she wasn't enjoying herself down there. She wanted to come home. She said that numerous times to her boyfriend. And like I said, we all make those mistakes when we're young. We Mm. do things, you sneak out, you know, you defy your parents' rules and stuff like that. But then you kind of, you know, you kind of get away with it. And it's such a shame and it's so tragic that Brittany's, you know, like, you know, bad choice that she made, yeah. which we all used to make. And it's all a learning curve, isn't such, it? Yeah, it's just, it's such a strong case of being in the wrong place at the wrong, wrong time. time. Because, yeah. you know, if she had been, and I'm sure her you mom can't predict this, it. You can't predict it. And it is crazy that her mom had that intuition, like something bad's going to happen to you. And yeah, and I think parents get that a lot, regardless, you know, mm. and like... Yeah, it's just, it's all just so awful. It just like makes you think like, if your friends are leaving anywhere, guys, or they're like, you know, I'm just going to walk home, even if it's 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and it's in the dark, don't let them go alone anywhere. Yeah, or don't be the one who stays behind. Don't be the one that stays behind on your own either. Like, don't accept, I'm not saying Brittany accept the list from Raymond Moody, I'm sure that she didn't. I'm sure that he had dragged her into the car. But I think that if there's any ways that you can be a little bit more cautious, like, if there's a couple of you walking, that's, you know, a little bit more safety or um, yeah. always let someone know that where you are. Yeah, I think usually there's safety in numbers. Obviously, that's not like... Not a, always. I mean, look yeah. at the Delphi case. That's, you know, no. definitely wasn't safety in numbers. But if you can travel with someone, please do it. And, you know, don't walk along with earphones in as well. Not Don't walk along with both earphones in. Even if it's just you, one, I don't feel go like jogging. This is at least the third in. time that you've said that. Because you know, I mean, I, I, we're definitely going to do an episode on like jogger murders and things like that, where people we're definitely are doing an episode on AirPods. Yeah, because it's yeah, <laughs> AirPods. You know, they get lost all the time. But it's like because you can't hear anything. You know, you're you're not aware of your surroundings. Yeah, and I'm not victim blame, but I'm saying then it's easier for someone who's that way inclined, like to Raymond Moody, guard. someone who is a predator. It's an easier target because they know they can sneak up on you. They know, or you just dropped your hair clip. That just bloody clippy. clippy. <laughs> no, she's always got a different clippy. This one. I love clippy. It's just so handy. Yeah, I mean, my hair's a mess. Do you love a clip? But yeah, and it's it's strange. I do find you know the fact that he was a different kind of killer because he was remorseful and he and it, whether was it fake or not I don't know but he's not like a killer say like BTK who stood up in court and was like well I did this and I did yeah, this and he or, was getting some gratification for the way he did it and he was getting some satisfaction yeah, talking and about Ramirez his crime. is the same yeah it's all about the show completely so I mean I, I think if even if Raymond Moody was remorseful there's something in him where he was compelled to to you know attack young people and, and eventually kill someone as well like it's something that he obviously couldn't fight and that's incredibly scary because it shows there's so many scary people out there you know there's lots of great people but there are some predators i thought i'm um, just a nice thing that i read somewhere was that britney was awarded an honorary diploma when her classmates from oh. gate chile high school graduated on the 23rd of june 2010 
God. So they, or was so it 2009? Nice. Was that, oh, it was 2010 because she was a junior. So it yeah. would have been 2010. So she was um, given, I thought that was really nice. That's that so they lovely. thought of her and that they... Absolutely. And it's so nice that, because like I said, I thought like back in the day when, you know, someone made that false confession about feeding her to alligators and all this stuff. And I was like, at first I was like, oh, this must be true. And then it turns out false, it wasn't. A, false accusation rather false, than confession. Oh, false accusation. Yeah. But it was just like, it was such a false lead that went a completely wrong direction and mm. detracts from the investigation into who really did kill her. And ruined the, the Taylor's lives. Oh, completely. Do and you know that the Taylors actually went to the court case? Really? Yeah, they did. And they, uh, Dawn uh, Plecken mm. and um, Chad Drexler actually went and spoke to them face to face and they had conversation and I think kind wow. of... I wonder if they'll end up having conversation with Raymond Moody as well because he's obviously offered to speak to the family. They might. I don't know. Mm. I don't know what you want to like. What you just want to jump across? Who knows? It's, it's, you yourself. can't even put yourself in that, like headspace. Yeah. You just who knows what you'd do, you know? But mm. yeah, it's just such a tragic case. But I'm so glad, and I was so happy when I read that he'd finally been found when he was arrested. And I was like, I can't believe that's the guy they've been looking for all these years. Yeah, no, so long. And thank God he's off the streets and unable to attack any more victims. Yes, exactly. Mm. Um, so. so I think we're going to leave it there for today. Um, please do rate and follow us on our Apple or our Spotify and all of our socials, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter. Yes. I think I've said them all. Exactly. And um, guys, please, like I said, tell your friends about us because like, you know, um, we want to be able to keep doing this um, as much as we can, squeezing it into Kate's very, very, very busy schedule. <laughs> so if you could just tell, you know, recommend us to friends, if you like um, the podcast, please do. We would so appreciate it. But on that note, we need to go and have some dinner and go to bed. So guys, <laughs> we'll see you next week for episode 27. Okay, bye. bye.